1130 here at KRBN, which means it is time for Midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you, Jason Jorgensen, and sports here in just a moment. We'll also hear from Bob Brogan and the Midday Business Report as stocks climbing just a little bit here in the last uh, couple of minutes or so. But let's start off, as always, and hear from our own Susan Littlefield. Well, thanks, Tyler. Here's what's happy on a midday from the farm team. I'll kick everything off at 1219. The North Platte FFA has got a great fundraiser. And what's cool about this FFA chapter, it's been revitalized after it went dark in the mid-80s. So find out more details about what they're doing. Then Shaylee Peters will step in at 1245 as she talks about stock rental oversights. And wrapping everything up at 117 will be Chabella Guzman as she talks with Brandon Honeycutt on corn and elections. That's a midday Tuesday from the farm team. Thank you very much, Susan. Well, we know the World Series is going to start tonight, uh, roughly after 7 o'clock in Texas, though no Texas teams are playing, but uh, nonetheless, it should be a good one. You would hope so. Uh, You know, the TV folks are glad the Dodgers made it. They were not looking forward to an Atlanta uh, Tampa Bay World Series in terms of eyeballs mm-hmm. fixated on that one. Also, it's the first World Series that will be played at the same ballpark since 1944. Because in the past, it always rotated oh, between yeah, home and sites. Yeah, so that makes it a little interesting. Also, it's the first World Series where every game will be played on artificial turf. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Little facts here provided by uh, Jason Jorgensen. I didn't realize before 1944 that they were not alternating. Yep. I, I suppose it's probably just the Yankees hosting the entire time at that point. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, it's a season like no other, and there's uh, there are some oddities uh, to this World Series. Also, we'll hear from Nebraska head coach Scott Frost. He held their weekly press conference yesterday. He was asked about opening up against Ohio State. Said he wasn't surprised by that. Also, it's interesting that these two schools and these two programs really fought the hardest to get football. Mm -hmm. Now they open up against one another, with Nebraska being a huge underdog in Saturday morning's game. Yesterday we talked about Adrian Martinez getting the starting nod, Luke McCaffrey. I I assume he'll still get into the game a little bit here and there. He seems like a talented guy not to be put into some specialty plays. Sounds like it. When I talked to Greg Sharp today, and uh, we'll hear that interview later on this week, uh, he thinks there could be some instances just like the Iowa game where both guys are on the field Mm. at the same time. He said McCaffrey is one of the fastest, most explosive guys they have on the team. Wow. So they got to find a way to get him on the field, even if he isn't quarterback. And both were elected captains. Did I see that right? Just Martinez. Just was. Martinez yeah. was okay. All right. Well, regardless, they think of a lot of uh, McCaffrey as well. So, all right, very good. Uh, turning over to the business report, uh, Bob. How are stocks doing a little bit today? A little bit higher as uh, folks are looking over some pretty good earnings reports from U.S. companies. Uh, that's kind of what they're focused on right now. They're also monitoring last-ditch efforts in Washington to get more aid for the economy. Also the, today, the Justice Department on Tuesday sued Google for antitrust violations, alleging that basically they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing, but, uh, you know, Google's probably as large as the U.S. government, so it's kind of like suing yourself. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how that all turns out. And U.S. home construction continues to be a bright spot for the economy, and uh Folks are building stuff, um, and so construction rose in September. Details on those coming up. 
What's well, that time of the day? It's 11.44, which means time for regional ag weather. And the one and only Paul Perkins has now stepped in. Well, Paul, while the, lo- the weather might be a little bit lousy right now here in our area, at least we're not in the Sioux Falls kind of location. They're getting four inches of snow right now. Uh, which I'm not a fan of. No, yeah, yeah, quite a bit of snow falling there. Yeah, southwest Minnesota into uh, uh, southeastern South Dakota, uh, upwards, yeah, many locations there, about four to five inches of mm. snow into southwest Wyoming so, or Minnesota. They can have it, I guess. Keep it there for now. You know, we got our <laughs> precipitation, uh, and let's uh, go about our business. Things going to warm up today, though. Exactly. Uh, not too bad of a day. And actually, today, probably in totality, going to be overall the better day or the best day of the next seven days. We will see a soar in our temperatures for Thursday, but that's going to be cut short by a very strong cold front moving through the region. And that will be ushering in some very winter-like conditions as mm. we head towards the weekend. So you're saying enjoy it while it lasts. Exactly. Right, definitely so. Right now, we do still have some persistent cloud cover over much of central and east Nebraska and Kansas, especially along and southeast of a line from O'Neill down to Ord, Broken Bow, Lexington, and Norton to the southeast of that line. Quite a bit of cloud cover, but also some breaks in the clouds off to our west. Our temperatures right now mostly, though, in the mid to upper 40s, but we are seeing some 50s from Hogalala into the northeast part of Colorado. Seasonal temperatures expected today with a mix of sunny clouds as a warm front moves to the east. We'll also see a weak cold front late today. Switch those winds to the north and drop our temperatures to slightly below average for tomorrow. So tomorrow not looking too bad either. We will see a return to southeast winds tomorrow to increase the moisture flow and cloud cover. Some rain also will be a possibility tomorrow over central and east areas. Just ahead of a very strong cold front on Thursday. We're expecting those temperatures to soar into the 50s and 60s. Even some southeast locations may see readings into the 70s before those temperatures drop late in the day with that front's passage. We're not expecting a repeat of the wind event from a few Sundays ago, but there is a very high likelihood of northwest wind gusts of 30 to 40 by the end of the day on Thursday. Behind that front also a killing freeze with lows in the 20s likely for thursday night through saturday night not just one night but several nights there and by sunday night we could be looking at overnight lows in the teens dry and chilly conditions for friday into saturday will give way to increasing chances for wintry precipitation saturday night into sunday as we start to see a strong system dig into the northern rockies Details still need to be worked out, but there is increasing confidence for at least some minor snow accumulations. In the long-term forecast, below normal temperatures likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. Sunday through the first two days of November, especially for early next week. During late October, central Nebraska highs are usually in the upper 50s to low 60s, with average overnight lows in the low half of the 30s. For the early half of next week in Nebraska, Kansas, and on into the central and eastern U.S., the outlook indicates above normal precipitation for early next week. It quickly trends, though, to below normal precipitation late next week through the 2nd of November. One of the factors impacting the markets include a delayed start to the rainy season in South America and concerns for weather extremes in wheat regions around the world. In the Midwest and Northern Plains, moderate to heavy rain and some snow the next seven days will cause disruptions to the harvest after running well ahead of average. For the Southern Plains, dryness is stressing the wheat crop. Kansas wheat conditions right now at 31% good to excellent and are well below the 55% good to excellent rating of a year ago. 
Very little precipitation forecast through the next week, and wheat likely to go dormant with ongoing dryness and drought issues. Russian wheat areas expect light to moderate rain this week. The crop benefit expected to be minimal due to the late arrival of the moisture. East Australia wheat areas will see moderate to heavy rain seven days from now. Rain of that quantity may be damaging to their wheat that's in the ripening stage. The damage to the wheat will be disappointing due to expectation of the largest Australian wheat crop in four years. The central Brazil forecast of moderate to heavy rain this week pointing to the beginning of the rainy season, which is about a month later than the 30-year average. This is leading to concern over soybean acreage totals. There's also long-term concern over the start of the important second corn crop season in central Brazil during the first and second quarters of the upcoming new year. All right, very good. Uh, For more weather, where can you find that at? Weather page, krbn.com. Thank you very much, Paul. The regeneration of an FFA chapter has led to some new opportunities to raise funds. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. FFA members from the North Platte FFA have found that unique way to be able to raise money, all coming from an idea from a student. I spoke with the North Platte FFA advisor, Kathleen Craig. Yeah, so um, last Friday, we held our second annual corn drive. So this is the second year for it. Um, And basically what we do is we take a semi and hopper and we call farmers, see where they're at and harvesting. And we ask them if we can come out to their field, if they'd be willing to donate some of their corn that they're harvesting. Um, And so we just drive around all day collecting corn donations. And we'll be doing it again this Friday. I think what a great opportunity for the for the FFAers to get out there yeah. as well and be able to meet and have conversations with these producers. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, that's something that they can't necessarily get in the classroom. So it's a great opportunity for them to be out in those fields and talking with those producers, as you said. Um, so, yeah, it's a great learning experience as well as a fundraiser. What do you guys plan to do with the money that's raised? So um, a lot of it will go towards leadership conferences and um, like state and national convention um, because we have to pay our way to get to those things. Um, We also, our biggest community project that we did was called Connecting Chapters and we would visit elementary classrooms and do like agriculture lessons with the little kids. Um, unfortunately this year with the coronavirus, we haven't, like, we're not allowed to go into classrooms. So we're kind of trying to figure out some different ways how we can maybe still do that. Like whether it's through zoom or record a lesson or something like that. Um, but that was kind of our biggest community outreach program. And, um, we used some funds from our fundraising in order to buy supplies and things for those activities. My understanding is you came back to the high school that you graduated from to teach. Yeah, I did. So I graduated from North Platte High in 2013, and um, we did not have an ag program when I was in high school. Um, However, there was an FFA and ag program, and I I believe it disbanded sometimes in the 80s, I want to say. And the school board, they, uh, within the last few years, were, like, looking at curriculum and stuff, and they were like, why don't we have an ag program? Like, why didn't we get rid of it? So um, they wanted to bring it back, and I was asked if I would be interested in coming home to start it, and I was super excited to do that. So, How many members do you have in the North Platte FFA? 
I've got about 30 that are really active. Well, what a great opportunity for you not only to come back to your, your high school, but to revitalize a program and at the same time show these students all the different opportunities that are out there for agriculture. Um, and another important thing to note is both of these things, this corn drive and this Feed the Farmer Banquet, um, are both fundraisers that were organized and started by one of my students. So Ellie Fisher um, is her name, and she came to me as a freshman with these ideas and wanted to raise money. So a farmer that is in your area of the North Platte FFA that would like to participate this coming week or this Friday, how do they go about doing that? So if they could contact my me through my school email, um, it's kcraig at nppsd.org, and we could give them a call and figure out um, where they'll be in a good time to swing by uh, this Friday. Those comments coming from Kathleen Craig with the North Platte FFA. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. And it's time for Midday Sports. Here's our own Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Tyler. You could say it's ironic that the two Big Ten programs that fought the hardest to play this season open up against one another on Saturday. His fifth-ranked Ohio State takes on Nebraska. Head coach Scott Frost isn't surprised that it worked out this way. We're grateful to Ohio State. Um... You know, it, it's strange where you find allies in certain things, and I think we had an ally in Ohio State to try to get the season played. I don't think it would have got done without Dr. Borchers there, without uh, Ryan Day continuing to push it, Gene Smith continuing to push it. Uh, we certainly fought for it, too. We fought because we thought it was the right thing to do, to have football. Um, our kids wanted to play. We Kickoff on Saturday is set for 11. Of course, we will bring you the game right here on 880 KRVN and 106.9 in Carnegie. Purdue football coach Jeff Brom has announced that he's contracted COVID-19 and won't be on the sideline for Saturday's season opener at home against Iowa. Instead, offensive coordinator Brian Brom will replace his older brother and will continue to call the plays. It was a doubleheader on Monday night and Monday afternoon football yesterday. Rookie Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had his best game as a pro, rushing for 161 yards. Kansas City beat Buffalo 26-17. The Chiefs are now 4-1. and And it was a nice homecoming of sorts for quarterback Kyler Murray and head coach Cliff Klingsbury as Arizona hammered the Cowboys to improve to 4-2. and Dallas now sets at just 2-4 and four on the season, but they still lead the NFC East. A World Series like no other opens up tonight in Arlington, Texas, where the Dodgers and Rays will battle for the championship of the virus-shortened season, played mostly in front of empty seats. Attendance will be limited to around 11,000 for the smallest crowd for a series game in more than a century. The Fall Classic will also be played entirely on artificial turf for the first time since 1993, and it's the first World Series entirely played at one ballpark since 1944 between the Cardinals and the Browns at Sportsman Park. The Republican Plains Activities Conference Volleyball Tournament will wrap up tonight. Uh, the games have been moved to Southwest High School at Bartley. The first semifinal has Maywood Hay Center taking on Juanita Palisade. They'll play at three. The East Division semi has Bertrand against Alma. That one starts at 4.30. The third place and championship matches will be played after that. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Businesses, charities, nonprofits suffering from the economic effects of COVID 19 will have a chance to apply for a new round of state aid. 
Governor Pete Ricketts says the state received nearly $1.1 billion in federal assistance. The new grants are aimed at some businesses and entities and were passed by the initial round of aid offered in June. The application period for the new grants begins at 10 a.m. on Wednesday, and there's a limited amount of time to apply. Application period will close on November 13th. That's a Friday. So you've got a few weeks here to get that application in. And one of the reasons why we're going to be advertising this to make sure people are aware of it. We've got to get those applications in, first come, first serve basis on many of these. And then finally, the expenses have to be out the door by December 30th. That is a requirement from the federal government with regard to the CARES Act money. Ricketts said the state is also expanding the program to make more businesses eligible, including event centers and sports arenas, hotels and convention centers, ethanol producers, zoos and movie theaters, long-term care facilities, assisted living and skilled nursing facilities. More information is available at coronavirus.nebraska.gov or the Department of Economic Development. The family of an 8-year-old girl swept away on the Platte River during an outing this summer is seeking help for another search to try to find the girl's remains. The Omaha World Herald reports that a team of search and rescue divers and volunteers are planning an extensive search on October 27th and 28th in and around the river where Terry's Price disappeared on June 11th. Officials say the girl became separated from her mother and others along a sandbar in the river. She was last seen about a half mile downstream from Shram Park State Recreation area. Search organizers are seeking volunteers and donations including adult life jackets, water, food and coolers. Nebraska regained its status last month as the state with the nation's lowest unemployment rate. Nebraska's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate fell to 3.5% compared to 4% in August. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says that's less than half the national rate of 7.9%. South Dakota and Vermont had the second and third lowest rates at 4.1 and 4.2%, respectively. Hawaii had the highest rate nationwide of 15.1%. Nebraska's rate has remained low compared to other states despite the coronavirus pandemic, which resulted in widespread business closures and layoffs. Nebraska Game and Parks Commission is urging motorists to use caution as deer are more active this time of year. Crops are being harvested and deer breeding season is in full swing. To help lessen the risk of injury or vehicle damage, Nebraska Game and Parks offers these suggestions. During breeding season, bucks are more active, less wary, and more susceptible to vehicle collisions. Deer movement peaks each day near dawn and dusk. Anticipate deer on the road and plan how to avoid them. Be prepared to stop suddenly, but also safely to keep control of the vehicle. Honk your horn and flash your headlights to frighten a deer away that is in the roadway. And to warn other traffic, activate your emergency flashers and tap your brakes. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. Taking a closer look at stock rental agreements, I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And today we're going to visit with Mary Dronowski. She's a beef systems specialist with Nebraska Extension. And Mary, this is something, a business transaction or a part of business that a lot of cattle producers and farmers deal with every year and although some of it seems to be very obvious and maybe easy to go through the motions there are several aspects of rental agreements and specifically when it comes to stock rental agreements that maybe get overlooked and we're going to talk about a few of those today as the combines come out of the field 
cattle go in the field. And so let's open up the conversation talking about rental agreements in general, and then we'll get into some of those details that are pretty important to consider uh, come this time of year. Sounds wonderful. I would say uh, the first thing that sometimes gets overlooked because everybody likes simple is uh, a lot of people use handshake agreements. And uh, while it's good to trust, uh, one of the challenges with not having a written agreement is just that sometimes it leads to miscommunication and frustration down the road. So having things written down just ensures that everybody's on the same page. So uh, both parties are are in agreement on the same page, have everything together, can remind people about what they originally agreed upon. Remember, as a farmer or as a cattleman, you ha- may have multiple people you're dealing with um, for uh, rent- renting out your corn residue or um, for getting a hold of corn residue. And that means that you may have multiple agreements and you may forget and think one person you agreed with for for a particular term, and in fact, that wasn't the individual. So it's just a lot easier if you have everything written down. Um, it makes sure that uh, the likelihood of that relationship continuing in future years and everybody being uh, on the same page and, and happy with what's going on, it's an increase significantly if you just have it written. That leads me kind of into my first question. I think this is a big one um, that maybe can solve a lot of problems before they even get started. But I wanted to talk more about liability because this can look a lot of different ways depending on the relationship between the uh, landlord and tenant. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, one of the first ones that everybody would think about with liability is who's liable if the cattle get out, and who's responsible for gathering the cattle. Uh, This one really comes up most often when it's a situation where there's full cattle care provided and there may be some miscommunications. Uh, But making sure it's written down who's liable and who's responsible is extremely important. Um, But also, if you're a a crop farmer and you're just renting out, let's say, your acres on on a uh, basis where there's no cattle care and they're doing the fencing, they're they're doing everything, uh, one of the questions that always comes up is, should the cattle owner be required to carry liability insurance to protect uh, in case of any damage that's caused by the cattle? And um, who's responsible if something like Let's say uh, you leave a, a fence post in the field or some wire gets left in the field and that happens to get tangled up in the planter the next year. So having those things, again, written down, uh, what's the recourse of action if something like that happens? Because, frankly, uh, things happen. Mistakes happen. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, cattle get out. And so making sure that everybody knows what's going to happen in the event of those accidents is extremely important. And then, of course, the key component to rental agreements, uh, price. And so not only the price that gets set, but um, how this is updated on a yearly basis. And then some of as far as things being overlooked, some of the details that go into pricing. Sure. So uh, how the grazing will be priced, um, there's a couple different ways you can think about pricing. And, and I see uh, both as both of these use quite consistently. The first one would be just priced on a per acre basis. Uh, so this rental agreement, it, it's pretty simple to administer, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's used most commonly. Um, 
couple things that are really important. If you price it on a per acre basis, then it's really important to have a set uh, start date, say that this is the latest that that grazing will be available, and a set end date, right? The cattle have to be off by this uh, time point. In fact, that's probably one of the most common frustrations I hear from uh, farmers is that uh, the cattle weren't removed when they would like them to be removed. And so just having it written out and and uh, articulated there allows you to have something to point back to later as well as just helps those cattlemen kind of plan. And then the other things to think about, of course, is stocking rate and then an adverse weather policy. And what I mean by that is let's say you have ice or snow um what's going to happen, who's responsible for uh, feeding those cattle or taking care of them, or do they have to be removed? Uh, let's say if uh, you get weather where it gets thawed out earlier than you expect and uh, it's pretty wet and the cattle are, you know, hugging up the field, what's the, what's the terms for something like that? Other thing about the idea of stocking rate is that if you have the stocking rate and the set start and end dates kind of articulated, then that allows you to reduce the risk of, say, overgrazing. Um, if you're a, a cattleman and, and you want to make use the best use of that forage that you can, uh, you may have a tendency to leave them on a little bit longer maybe than the farmer would like. And so having those things kind of written out is really useful. All right. Thanks for all of the information, Mary Dronowski. Again, our guest today, Beef Systems Specialist. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are higher on Wall Street as traders look over several solid earnings reports from U.S. companies. They're also monitoring last-ditch efforts in Washington to get more aid for the economy. The S&P 500 rose four-tenths percent in the first few minutes of trading. Procter & Gamble, Regions Financial and Travelers all rose after reporting quarterly results that were better than analysts were expecting. Overseas markets were mixed and Treasury yields held steady. The Justice Department today sued Google for antitrust violations, alleging that it abused its dominance in online search and advertising to stifle competition and harm consumers. The litigation marks the government's most significant act to protect competition since its groundbreaking case against Microsoft more than 20 years ago. The suit could be an opening salvo ahead of other major government antitrust actions. Given ongoing investigations of major tech companies, including Apple, Amazon, and Facebook at both the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission. Google has long denied the claims of unfair competition. Google argues that although its businesses are large, they are useful and beneficial to consumers. U.S. home construction rose a solid 1.9% in September after having fallen in August as home building remains one of the bright spots for the economy. The Commerce Department reports that the September increase pushed home construction to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.42 million homes and apartments after a 6.7% drop in August. A state-owned Chinese drug maker says it is setting up production lines to supply 1 billion doses of two possible coronavirus vaccines that are being tested on 50,000 people in 10 countries. The chairman of the company says testing is in the last kilometer of a long march. He gave no indication when results are expected. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rowe. 
corn growers and ethanol have had a rocky ride this past year. Now, with the 2020 elections only two weeks away, there is some anxiety in farm country. Brandon Honeycutt, a Nebraska Corn Board member, says throughout time, corn growers have figured out how to work with any administration, Republican or Democrat. We have some, some key components we need to work on, you know, make sure we have ethanol flowing throughout the, the United States, make sure we have policy in place there, make sure we have good trade um, partners throughout the world so we can move, move corn so we'll work with whoever we can. At the same time, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see because we, the a, a potential Biden administration, you know, we, we kind of have an idea of where they want to go on um, potentially a new green deal. You know, that can, that can also have some benefits for agriculture. You know, we know we have a, a fuel that's renewable and that's, that, that is clean for the environment. So it's hopefully something that can fit in there. Honeycutt says under the current administration, corn has done well, and hopefully trade keeps moving forward. He says there have been some promising steps forward already with ethanol policy. But anything, either administration, anything that can do to, to continue to push for more ethanol um, throughout the marketplace, you know, trying to make sure that it, it is used as the clean, renewable fuel, that, that it's available nationwide. You know, those people flex fuel vehicles, whether they're in California, Florida, Maine, Texas, that they have the ability to get good quality fuel at you know, E85 blends if they, if they show, so choose. Honeycutt says both administrations would need to move forward on trade policy where there are promising avenues for corn. Whether it's ethanol, whether it's, whether it's livestock, or whether it's, it's the raw commodity. You know, there's places like Indonesia that we're here and we're starting to be able to get some ethanol into and that's a, that's a huge area to get ethanol into and lots of cars on the road, many millions of miles driven on a daily basis. You know, so there's those things moving forward that doesn't matter what administration it is. If we can get a couple of those things moving forward, it would be a big one for, for corn growers. The Green New Deal doesn't have any specifics on timelines or cost to taxpayers, but it has raised a lot of responses from the public and politicians. Honeycutt says agriculture is usually always facing some kind of challenges. Um, you know, we've seen challenges in the past. We had uh, waters of the U.S. We, we've seen potential trying to regulate dust. And so anytime we hear those words, you know, farmers get a little antsy. At the same time, there's also hopefully some benefits in there as we, as we continue to push forward on things like cover crops and more sustainability practices. And as we move forward, you know, hopefully there's something there, but there's, there's always that concern that um, what happens if, you know, it, it's uh, negative towards, say, the diesel industry. Well, we know Farms run, there's a lot of diesel fuel that runs through any size of farm. And until we get some changes within, you know, equipment structure, we still need, we still need diesel. We still need the abilities for, for some of those uh, baseline fuels that we utilize. So there are those things that give us pause. Um, there's always something in there that we can, we can work with as well. The presidential election is always big news, but Honeycutt says not to forget your local elections. We get so wrapped up in national politics and, and how important those play, but the local elections are just as important and can have such a impact on farms, whether it's your, your local NRD election or your, even what happens at the, at the state legislature. You know, we need to make sure that we're keeping, keeping our eye on what's going on there because um, they can have both positive and negative effects for agriculture as well. Along with the presidential election on November 4th will be elections for Nebraska's Senate and congressional seats, local schools, city, and county boards. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shabella Guzman.
Clay Patton on the World Radio Network. Now let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, as we go into the close here, another strong day of gains for the entire grain complex. And even when you look at that December 2020 corn chart, when you look at it in 2019, we're higher than we were even then. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about the front month. Front month prices a year ago at this time were right around like 360. So we had, I think, close to a 50 cent spread between uh, December 19 and December 20. So that December 20 contract traded on this day a year ago right around the 405, 407 level. Well, we're at 409 now. So that contract itself is exceeded. Meanwhile, though, the, the December of this coming season, so 2021, is just pushing on four dollars so if you're bullish corn really the value in the curve is is there you know to go out and look and say maybe buy september at four dollars uh certainly new crowd at four bucks there might be 20 cents there uh if this old crowd market continues to rally so you know everybody's kind of looking at the old crop story here but new crop will they've got some acreage to fight for with uh you know with corn and beans um kind of slowly rallying everything rallying together so i feel that uh you know, the front of the curve obviously has made its move, but if you're really bullish, maybe the back is where to look. We're still several weeks out from that November WASDA report, but given the fact harvest is so far ahead in so many states like Nebraska, 92% harvested now on the soybeans, we're going to see a lot of farmers survey result data in this next report. Could that be beneficial or harmful to the market? Well, the, the fast harvest isn't, isn't really indicative of a big crop. You tend to see, you know, big slow harvest now technology is so hard to analyze year over year i mean the stuff you know 10 years ago i, I think the combine and the, the potential of uh a fast harvest is, is that much greater that said um you know the market seems to be insatiable right now you have another buys coming on beans and um you know feed grain markets continue to stay strong and at this point in time that that's enough to keep corn here on bid uh i would think we'll see a turnaround in, in the middle part of of November, but again, the election will deter a lot of that. I think in the near term, farmers don't need the money; they just want to sell it to uh, to make some room for what they what they want to store. And I think that'll that'll keep a limit on futures in the near term. Again, we're talking with John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. You can learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Again, that's danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. When you go to danielzagmarketing.com, that's where you can sign up for John's free newsletter. Again, it's called This Week in Grain, and it's actually a daily newsletter where John recaps all of the highlights and things that will be happening throughout the trading day. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. You can go back and listen to our Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors. That is available on krvn.com or on iTunes.